Tim, and I'm going to be speaking for about, probably close to about half an hour, just talking through some things about the Bible. And um, that was great, B. So that was, that was just some verses I gave her to read out, just going basically through the whole story of the Bible. And you'll sort of see why that's a bit relevant a bit later on. Um, for you guys who are, I guess, at the moment, um, we're, we're just focusing on the Bible. Like normally we, we sort of get up here every week and we share a message where we read a passage of the Bible and, and we teach it and we teach what it says. But we're taking some time to actually just think about this book and, and what it is and where it came from and, and, and how we understand it and, and why we would even do that. Why would we gather every week and, and read it and teach it and live by it? So we're, we're doing this thing. We're looking at this, this. The Bible just means book. So we've, we've called it the book. And if you missed last week, Dave um, shared about this book, and you can, you can download it on the website if you're interested in listening to it, because he talked about how you, we can have confidence in it for lots of reasons. Some people say just things have been changed in the Bible, you can't really trust it, and he was just showing how that's not really true, and, and there's some difficulties, that things that sort of seem strange culturally, but we can make sense of them. And then ultimately, this book actually touches us personally and, and reveals God to us personally. It's so powerful. So if you're interested in that, you can catch up and listen to what Dave said last week. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about something a little bit different. And it's, it's so hard, really, to sort of encapsulate this book in two weeks and, and, and kind of answer some questions that we might have about it or bring some insight into it. We're going to have a go at sharing some things with you tonight um, just for this next sort of 30 minutes or so. So I'm just going to pray um, that God would just speak to each of us um, through this and just open our eyes more to his word uh, Father, thank you so much for tonight, just time to sing to you and, and hear how you're working in people's lives and, and that you've worked in many of our lives, God. And um, we just thank you so much for this book that you've given us. Lord, would you give us understanding of it? God, those of us who are not sure about it, who are maybe even confused or intimidated by it, God, would you just bring insight and light and, and revelation tonight, God, that we would see how precious and amazing and powerful this book is. And we just pray that you'd speak into our hearts tonight in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so before I start talking about the book, I want to talk about computers for a little bit. I don't know if you guys, um, what your experience of, of computers were. Some of you know life, what life was like without computers for many years. Some of you may not even know what life is without computers. Um, for, for me, growing up, my brother and I, we got a PC we were young, we used to play games, we had dial-up internet, all that sort of stuff. But that was, that was like what we used, right? We used Windows, we, we, we were PC, big, big computer that sat on the table. They had to turn on and wait for a while for it to load and so forth. And this, this was kind of what we used. And I don't know if that's your experience, that that's kind of what you got, you, you learnt. Computers through Windows, through PC, through that program where there's a start button, where you go to programs, where there's a desktop, where there's shortcuts, it's, it's fairly simple to understand. I don't know if you've experienced this, but maybe there was some time in your life if you grew up like that or you, you experienced that first, that then you went to use a Mac and, and you went to use an Apple computer and you're expecting to find certain things there that you don't find, right? Like you're expecting to find a start button and you're expecting to find um, the cross in a certain spot and it's just not there. And you close something and it doesn't close and you don't know how to change programs and it's frustrating. Um, when I, when I um, got my first or my, my second laptop, one of my friends sold it to me, and, and it was a Mac. And to start with, I was expecting all these things that I found in Windows, and they just weren't there. And, I, and it was frustrating, it was confusing, it's difficult. And I had to learn this whole new system and understand that this is actually built differently than what I expected. And then after learning it and, and, and understanding it, actually I think it's better, and it's really good, and it's awesome, and, and I sort of like to use that. Now, and this is not at all an advertisement or a promotion or like a statement, <laughs> nothing like that. But... 
you, you might have experienced the other way. I don't know what that would be like if you sort of use those ones first and then try to use a PC and you think this is weird or something. But it's interesting, right, that, that in that situation, when you go to, a, to use something, expecting it to be a certain way, and it's not really fitting the way that you expect that it should be, which, which leads to frustration. And frustration often leads to confusion, and confusion leads to boredom and kind of just neglect. Just think, this is just silly, it doesn't work, it doesn't do what I want it to do, and we just sort of push it aside. I think, often, that's what happens with this book, the Bible. M many, many people believe this book is very important, believe that it's written by God even, believe that it's precious, believe that it's powerful. Throughout history, people have died to preserve it. It's, it's, it's old and it's been translated and it's been copied so that it can be preserved for us to read. But often, it's kind of just confusing and, and sort of frustrating and even boring. And often it kind of just gets neglected. And I think some of the reason why that is, is because we approach it expecting to find something that we don't find. And then we get frustrated. These are some of the things that I think often people look for or expect when they're coming to the Bible. These are some of the things. We expect to find instructions about how to live. We expect that the Bible is, is, is a book that, that God has given that should just say, I should do this, 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 and this. And we come to the Bible and it often doesn't really look quite like that. We often come looking for dot points about what to believe. That, that almost like there should be a section about God, the Father, that says God is this, 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 and this. should be a section about Jesus. Jesus is this, 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 and this. section about church. Church should be this, 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 and this. But you come to the Bible and we don't find that. Other people make those books. They're called systematic theology where we take lots of verses from the Bible and, and say this is what it says about these things. But that's not the book that we have. And we often are looking for, for dot points. Just we should believe these things. Often as well, just lists of how to do things. So, so once we've come to know Jesus, how, how do we tell other people about Jesus? Like there should be a section in the Bible about that, but, the, but there's not. Or, or how do we pray? There should be a whole section about prayer or, or money. But we don't find sections about those things in the Bible. And particularly, I think one of the big ones is that we think it should answer the questions that we have. Like it should have a frequently asked questions section, right? Like, God, what about the dinosaurs? Like, this is what happened with the dinosaurs. That's right, yeah. <laughs> or, or like the Trinity, like this explains the Trinity, but we know this, the word Trinity is not even in the Bible. Or um, other, other things where we sort of just think, well, God, why did you even make the world to start with? This is why I made the world. Like, often we have questions and we approach the Bible and just expect that it should answer the questions that we have, but often that's not what we find. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not at all saying that the Bible doesn't do these things or, or include these things, but it does, doesn't include them in the way that we would expect it to include them. Often, when we actually approach this book and actually come to read it, we don't find dot points, we don't find lists, we don't primarily find instructions, although there are, they are there. This is what we find. We actually find lots and lots of stories, narrative, history, find quite a lot of poetry, songs, parables, letters, prophecy, law, a whole range of different genres, and, and, and all sort of different and, and different time periods, and, and, and ultimately a whole lot of stories, really. So much of it is narrative and stories, and that's not what we're really looking for often, right? 
We're often looking for dot points or instructions or, or commands, but instead we find this book that, that's got this wide range of genres and, and often a story that goes with it. So this is what I want us to think about tonight. Like, what is this book? And why is it not what we might expect it to be? Why, why is it not just dot points and instructions and really, really clear? Because often, right, it's not really, really clear in the way that we would expect. Often there's stories. Jesus speaks in parables. Like, why is it like that? This is kind of what I want us to talk about tonight. Basically, I'm talking to you about, well, what is this book? And why would God write it? Why would God give it to us this way? Why would people write this book in this way? Do you know what's really interesting, though? Because we, we might expect and want sort of like dot points and instructions and things like that, how-to guides. But really, when we think about it, humans, people, mo- most of us probably actually love stories. We, we, we consume stories all the time. I don't know if you love reading, but, but you might have experienced reading a novel, reading a book, and just getting immersed in a story and just not being able to go to sleep because you just want to know what happens. You just want to finish it. Pretty much all kids love stories. When I was teaching prep last year, um, the last couple of years, one of the, the coolest tricks, you could try this with kids if you like, one of the cool tricks to do, if you had a crazy class full of kids, you just sit on the chair and start reading a story, and you just ignore them and just start reading it, and slowly they start to realize, oh, there's a story, and they sit down, and they get really quiet, and they, they're interested. And, and often, I, I notice that even when I'm speaking, I can be give, giving instructions and telling, saying things, saying information, but as soon as I start to tell a story, people connect. It's way more interesting. And that's the same way even when we talk to each other, right? Like sometimes we talk to each other in dot points. Like sometimes we say, I did this, 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 this is who I am, this, this, this. Most of the time we tell stories and we share stories and conversations kind of one story to another story to another story. And, and many people I know have experienced getting consumed by stories on Netflix that you've downloaded and you've gotten into and you just love these stories that we read. Um, Tam and I actually went to this conference last year, I think, and this was kind of about this idea of, of stories and how powerful stories are and, and how to understand these stories in the Bible. And the, the, the presenter of the conference got us to do something really interesting to start with. We, we had to introduce ourselves to the people next to us. And this is what he said to do. He said, I just want you to think about yourself and I want you to write down four or five dot points about yourself. And then you're going to share them with the person next to you and introduce yourself. Now, I don't remember what I wrote, but I, I think it was something like this, right? Teacher... Juggler, I like juggling. Husband, handsome. I didn't write that. that and that, that was probably more of a morning church joke anyway. I don't think it really works tonight. <laughs> they laughed. <laughs> and then, then, right, we have to share this. We have to share this with the person next to us. And you're like, okay, here's my dot points. Good. Here's your dot points. Good. Like, and it's, and it's sort of, that was one way to introduce ourselves. But then he said this other thing that was really interesting. It sort of caught me, caught me off guard a bit. He said, now, I want you to think of a time in your life when you felt alive. When have you felt alive? And this caught me off guard, and I had to think about a time, and it's, it's hard to think about that. And, and what I thought of was this time, not long after I'd moved out of home, I'd moved to Woolowin, and I'd just started to get into running. And I would run late at night, 
um, along Kedron Brook. And there's this, this path that runs along Kedron Brook. And not many other people would be around. And I would just feel so great. I, I, I know lots of people don't enjoy running. But when I run, I just feel alive. I just feel amazing. I, I enjoy it so much. And this night in particular, I remember running. And uh, what I'll do is I'll run out. And I'll get to a point, And I'll turn around. And there's sort of some trees and a bridge and things like that. And I have this memory of getting to this turnaround point turning around and no one else was around. I'm just running and I start like fist bumping the air and going, yeah, woo, yeah. Like, and that, that was a time that I felt really alive. And I shared that with the person next to, next to me. And then he said, how was that different? And it was different because when at the answer to that question, share a time when you felt alive, you share a story, not dot points. And when you share a story, you, know, you might notice it just then. You come alive. Like, like, you're actually inviting people into your world. You actually connect with people in a way that we don't connect with dot points, as much as sometimes we might want them when we come to the Bible. Do you know what's so amazing about this book? Is that it's not one book. You might have heard this before. It's actually 66 different books. And, and like I said, different genres. Actually written by 40 different authors. That, that, that different people throughout history wrote different books that have, get, have gotten put together that we call the book, the Bible. It was actually written over a period of 1,600 years. This is a misconception some people have, right? Like, this, like one guy just wrote the Bible, it just sort of fell out of heaven. Like, that's not what Christians believe at all. These, these are documents that have been written over a long time. And like I said before, there's many different genres, so history and, and poetry and prophecy and law and letters and all sorts of different things. But the amazing thing about this book, and if I had to answer the question that we're trying to think through tonight, what is it? Fundamentally, what it is, is one big story. There's so many different stories in the Bible, but the amazing thing is that this book is so diverse. It's 66 books, but it actually tells one grand story. This is how one author described it. He said, yet despite this great diversity, the Bible tells a single overarching story from the first creation in Genesis to the revelation of a second renewed creation. And V read out some of those verses. We're going to talk about them some more a bit later. He says, It is the story of a creator God, the rebellion and death of humanity, and God's mission to redeem the entire human world. This story and the person who is at the center of it should define our worldviews. Really, the, the, one of the best ways, I think, to understand this book is to see it that way. There's actually this grand story and what this author is saying that this story should define our worldviews. You've probably thought about this or, or, or heard about this at some time in your life, right? This idea of worldview, that, that everyone has, in a sense, a pair of glasses on and they look at the world, we look at the world through these glasses. And these glasses include our beliefs just about life, our assumptions, our ideas, our values. And often these, these beliefs kind of come with stories about the way life is. And everybody has one, right? Everybody views the world through a world view, through a set of glasses. Sometimes we talk like we can be bi we, we're not biased, that we can sort of stand neutral and stand back and, and sort of make judgments. But everything we do, everything we say, comes through a certain way of viewing the world. And, and our worldview can be challenged, right? And can be expanded and can be adapted and can, can be changed depending on what we experience and what happens in our life. I want to tell you a little story that, that illustrates this, about how worldviews can, can shift and how stories can shift them as well. There's this story of a tribe um, from the Congo in Africa. And this tribe 
I think it's in the book, they said it's called the Bamuti people. And this was a forest-dwelling tribe that, that was incredibly isolated from, from all other cultures, all other peoples. They, they, their life was limited to the forest and dense forest. Right? They didn't know any other world apart from the forest, even so much that their language only really included what you'd find in the forest or, or life, a world that would, would be defined by a forest. The forest was their world view. And in the 1950s, a, an anthropologist came to this tribe and, and built a relationship with them and with the, with the leader of the tribe, his name was Kenji, and they went on a journey out of the forest. And they left the forest, and this man, for the first time, saw what it looks like outside of a forest. He saw a wide open plain where you can actually see into the distance. And this was the first time, and it didn't even have a word for this. This, this, this. Just imagine how much this would shift someone's worldview who had just been limited to the worldview of a forest. Then something amazing happened, and this book that, that describes this says that, that Kenji looked at something and he said, What is that insect? And the anthropologist looked at him and said, That's a buffalo. And Kenji's confused because he knew what a buffalo was. They'd seen buffalo, but this didn't look like a buffalo, it looked like an insect. And this buffalo was far in the distance. So, so much so that it was so small that it looked like an insect. But his worldview had no concept of the fact that things that are far in the distance appear smaller. And as they journeyed and they got closer to this buffalo, he saw that it is a buffalo. That's what it is. Just imagine how much of a shift in worldview was happening for him at that time. Then imagine going, him, him going back to his tribe that, that only know the forest, that this is their life, this is their worldview, and sharing this weird story about a place where there's no forest and insects look like buffalo, buffalo look like insects and things can change size, and trying to explain that to this people that have no concept of that. And, and that, those stories that he tells, then, then shifting and, and enlivening and, and um, changing their worldview as well, the lenses through which they see the world. This, this is what worldviews are, right? They're, they're these sort of ideas, presuppositions, and, and, and values. But often they get shared and they get grown, and, and what they ultimately are is stories. Again, Rada says this, it's from this beautifully complex way that this tapestry of stories comes together in cultures and the lives of people that we get our worldviews. Smaller stories piecing together into large overarching narratives. What he's saying is that ultimately our worldviews are formed through lots and lots of little stories that we tell. And even our culture, right, we, we hear stories every day. We hear stories on the news, we hear stories at university, we hear stories uh, in advertisement, that, that often they tend to shift and form our view of the world as well. He goes on talking about this grand story. In other words, to say that everybody has a worldview is to say that everybody lives out of a big story of the world. I think this is one, of the, one, uh, one great way to understand what a worldview is, that it is fundamentally a big story of the world. And everybody has one. And everybody makes their decisions and their judgments through this. There's no neutral ground where you can sort of just take your glasses off and see everything clearly. Everyone looks at things through a big story of the world. And often what we do is, is we come to the Bible, this book, with, with the glasses on that, that we have, right? The glasses of our culture or the glasses of our life 
or, or, or just the stories that we've been told, the worldview that we've adopted, and we come and we read this book and we make judgments about it through the glasses, through our own worldview. And if, if they were dot points, that, that would probably happen a lot more. But what the Bible is fundamentally is inviting us to not see it as something that we come to with our worldview, but to actually view it as a worldview. That this, this book, this is presenting itself as the true story, the true big story of the world, the true worldview. That, that what, what this book actually wants us to do is to see the world through it, not to see it through the world. It's not, in, not inviting us to, to look at it and to judge it through the glasses that we have, but to actually make it the glasses by which we see everything else. And that's, that's I think, why it's this big story. Because it, it's saying that this is actually the world that we live in. This is actually the story that we're a part of. And, and this is actually who it is about. And often when we, we come to judge it, it's, it's judging it by a different story, but it's actually inviting us not to do that, but to make a fundamental shift and actually have it as a worldview through, view, through which we view everything else. So I'm just going to give you a quick summary of what I've said so far, and then, then we're going to start to look at the story a little bit. So I've said that, th- that this book right, is, is fundamentally a big story, that there's, there's lots and lots of stories in it. And it's not all narrative, right? Like we said, some, there's letters, there's prophecy, there's laws, but all of those even are in the context of a story, a big story that's going on. And this story is historical. It's about things that have happened in the world. And, and th- the reason why it's this story is because it's inviting us to actually shift and have a different worldview about life. Stories invite us in to connect with us and to shift us in a way that dot points wouldn't. So I just want to acknowledge as well, I haven't said anything about why you should believe this book, right? I haven't, haven't given you reasons or evidence or arguments for that, and I'm not really going to do that tonight. I'm going to give you two quick things, but I don't really have time. What I want you to understand tonight is what it is, and, and you can go and research and understand and come to a place of whether you believe it or not as well. But I'm going to give you two really quick reasons for why you, you could believe this and why I, I believe this. Two, two. So one particularly is that we all have a worldview, and I'm going to tell you the story of this book in a minute. And I think that it's the best story that makes the most sense of the world. Because we all have to decide whether our worldview makes sense and whether it actually is consistent with our lives and the things that we experience. Because if it's not consistent, we need to shift it, we need to change it. And I think this story that the, that, the, that the Bible presents is actually a story that's so consistent with the way that we see life and understand life that it's trustworthy, that's reliable. Secondly, another way to come to, to believing this book is to first come to believing in Jesus. Because there's great historical evidence for Jesus that the things that he said and did were written by eyewitnesses, that there's, there's evidence that they were saying and telling the truth. And if you, if you study that and look at the evidence around his resurrection and come to a place where you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then Jesus has authority, right? Jesus knows everything. We have to view the world through Jesus' eyes because he is the Son of God. We trust what he says. And he gives um, credibility to the Old Testament. He, he quotes it. He talks about the, the, the Word of God not passing away, not being broken. And he gives authority to people to write the New Testament. And, and the people he gave authority to believe they were writing the words of God and sharing things with authority. Like I said, I don't have time to go into those things now. There's some things just to sort of think about, um, trying to get to a place of whether, what will you believe about this book 
as well. So what, so what I've said is what it is fundamentally is a story. I want to tell you the story really quickly. But you read out some verses that, that, that go through this story. And this is one way to understand it, right? So this story, one way to understand it is that it has five acts. And like I was saying, that this is actually inviting us to view the world through this story, that it's, that it's not just about giving us instructions about how to live, but fundamentally saying this is the true story of the world. This is the true story of God. The story begins with the God who is good, who makes this world. And, and he, he makes men and women in his image, and he blesses them, and he says it's good. And we experience that, right? Like, like that there's things in the world that are good, there's goodness in the world. There's beauty in the world. There's truth in the world. And this, this story starts there with this God creating this world, creating people and inviting them into relationship with himself. But this story goes downhill because the people who he created are tricked, they're lied to by God's enemy, Satan. And they believe this lie that they can themselves be gods, that they don't need to follow God, that God is not good, and they, they rebel against him. And when this happens, that the life that they were made to live, the life of trusting God and being close to God and in relationship with him in this good world, that's broken through their, their rebellion. And death comes into the world and destruction and decay and evil. And again, that's our experience of the world, right? That there's, there's suffering in the world. There's death in the world. And, and it's not like we just think, yeah, that's just a part of life. Like there's something in us that this is not good. This is not right. It shouldn't be this way. And, and, it, and it harks back to the fact that God made this good and it's broken. There's something fundamentally wrong. And, and that this God, the story says that he didn't decide to leave the world like that, broken, but he decided to make, had a plan to redeem it, to save it, to bring people back to the goodness that he had it at first. And this plan starts with this, this, this idea to make a nation out of, out of one person. And B read it before, God comes to Abraham and, and he says that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you lots of kids and they're going to have lots of kids and they're going to turn into a nation. And this nation I'm going to use to bless the world. I'm going to use this nation, my relationship with them to reveal who I am to the world. And it's interesting, right? Like when you read a story, when you, when you, when you read about characters doing stuff and facing different situations, you see how they respond. You learn about who they are. And we see this with God. We see how, how he's patient with his people, how he loves his people, how he reveals himself to his people, and it starts to reveal who he is. And he gives them commands, and he gives them promises, and he gives them land. And, and all of this is to, is to build a relationship with them through which the world can be blessed. And, and so much of the Old Testament, so many of the books of the Bible are about this third act in the story about the nation of Israel. And, and there's so many other parts in that story that I don't have time to go over. But that's a really, really brief segment of the story, right? And this, this story involves um, the people not being faithful to God. They're falling away again. They're not worshipping Him, but worshipping other gods. They're, they're not being faithful to Him. They, they thought that they could follow and they could do the right thing and they could fulfill their promises, and they found they couldn't. And that's often true in our lives right, as well. Sometimes we... We want to follow God. We want to love God. We want to love people. We want to do the right thing, and we can't. And sometimes the harder we try, the worse we do, which leads to this fourth act of the story, which is such an amazing act 
that the Bible actually claims that the God who created this world, who's actually really the author of this story, actually steps out of heaven and enters this story as a human being and is born as a baby. And he lives to reveal God. And the way that Jesus lives and the, the things that Jesus does shows who God is. And he reveals God in a way that Israel didn't, in a way that Israel failed to. Jesus starts to reveal and teach about who this God is. But we see again that the world is damaged and these people who he's come to save reject him. They, they, they don't recognize him. They're offended by him. And that this man, the, the one man who'd done nothing wrong, he is punished and he is killed and he is crucified. And that in his death though, this was the plan. This was the story that God would one day redeem the world through the death of this man, Jesus Christ. And he dies on the cross and on the third day he rises again. And, and there's this, this life that is now available because of Jesus. That, in, that instead of having to punish, instead of having humanity had to bear the cost their rebellion, that Jesus bears it, that he dies in the place of, of people who don't follow God, of sinners, and he dies and is risen again, and now there's new life. And what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross is a way back to relationship with God, a way back to being connected with him, a way to have forgiveness of sins and relationship with this God in a way that wasn't possible with Israel. That they, they, it was, that they, they tried, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus comes and gives it to us for free. He does it for us. He lives the perfect life and he dies our death so we can live. And then this story, now we get to the fifth act. And what the Bible says is that this is the story that we're in now. Right? Like when we read the Bible, sometimes it's confusing because we read things that happen to Israel and, and try to put them on ourselves. But, but we're not Israel and we're not in the third act. And we're not, in the same way, we're not in the first act and we're not in the second act. We're not in the third act or even in the time of Jesus. We live in the fifth act after Jesus' death and resurrection. And in this act, God has given his spirit to, to people to be his witnesses. And that, that is the age of the church and we are his church and we are continuing his story. And our job is to go into the world and tell the good news of Jesus, to tell how there's forgiveness and there's freedom and there's life because of his death. And the Bible, the New Testament, points to the, the final scenes of this act where one day Jesus will come back and as be read again in Revelation that he will make a new heavens, and a new earth, a new garden where everything will be made right. And that this is the act that we live in, right? So we still understand the story. We, we, we're to be people who dwell in this story because it's our story. But we don't just repeat the story of Israel. We don't repeat the story of Jesus. We, we actually look forward and live out our story with the authority of the story that's happened before. And that, that we call other people, we call the world into this story to fundamentally shift their worldview and understand this is actually the story of the world. It's, it's not just meaningless. It's not just coming from nowhere leading to nowhere. But it's about a good God, but it's broken and he's come to redeem it. And, and you know, the stories that we love the stories that we connect with so much follow a very similar plotline to this story, right? The stories are about love, about sacrifice, especially self-sacrifice, where the main character of the story gives up their life to redeem and dies, and is, then there's a resurrection. If you, if you watch some, some really um, 
amazing movies and popular movies, they follow this plot line, right? Because this plot line connects with our hearts, that we, that we love it, that we're moved by it, that we look to this hope of the future. And, and what the, the, this book is saying is that we're moved by these stories because they're echoes of this true story, that this is actually the story that is the true story. And, and when we hear stories similar, we hear stories of sacrifice and love and resurrection and hope, they connect with us deeply. So we see this is our story. This is what the Bible says. It defines who we are, just as a character can only be rendered in narrative form. So the answer to the question, who am I, can only be given if we ask, what is my story? And that can only be answered if we answer this further question, what is the whole story of which my life is a part? To indwell the Bible is to live with an answer to those questions, to know who I am and who is the one to whom I'm finally accountable. This is, this is what this book invites us into, this different way to view the world. And you probably noticed as well what I said before, that, that this is different, right, to, to our culture's view of the world. This is different to other, other people's view of the world. As, as people who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, we have a fundamentally different worldview and big story understanding of the world. One writer describes kind of what, what the, the culture in general's kind of view is or kind of story is or how we define ourselves in this world. Mark says, says this, he, he talks about Gnosticism, which is this sort of religion of self. He says, the Gnostic seeker must find God to move through life seeking him out. In the worldview of the seeker, the authority, the responsibility, the centrality is on the seeker. In this vision, God is stationary, waiting to be found. God is really not at the center of the drama. Rather, he's a supporting actor to the main player, the seeker. And this writer says that a lot of, a lot of the worldview right now of, of, I suppose, the West or our culture is this, that we are seekers. We, we want to have amazing experiences, amazing holidays. We want to we get out of the boring, dull life. We want to make our life count, but, it, but it's so focused on us. We are the authority. We are the main player. We are the center. And this can even sort of slip into Christianity, and we can sort of live like this as Christians even, that this story becomes about us. But he says, this is not the worldview of this book. This is not the worldview of the Bible. It's, it's fundamentally different. It's a huge shift because in the worldview of the book, we are not seekers. We are not the main players. He says this, we are not seekers. We are slaves. We are people who give up our autonomy, not to unjust rulers or authorities, but to the one true king, the one good king, the king who has taken all of our rebellion, our sin, our injustice on himself. We lay our authority and our autonomy down at the feet of the king with scars. You see how different that worldview is. That, that as Christians, if, people, if, if you're Christian here tonight and you follow this book, you, you live in this worldview, the authority is with God. And we are people who have received his grace and his forgiveness. And we live out of this story for him, which is, and, and, and we view his story as our worldview. We don't take the story of our culture and, and judge the Bible by it, but the Bible becomes our view of the world. So this, this book is amazing when we see it like this. It can come to life because we start to actually see it and read it the way it was meant to be written. Read, read the genres the way that the writers intended them to be read and see it as this grand narrative that tells the story of God that we're invited into to follow. So I don't know where you guys are at tonight with this, what, what you feel or what you think about this book. Maybe if you guys even want to start playing and we'll finish up in a sec. You, you, you may not 
believe it at all. You sort of might be here and just sort of think this is strange to, to base your life on a book or to, to follow God, and that's, that's perfectly fine. And we encourage you to continue to think through and, and question and ask questions, and we're happy to talk and would love to talk and think through this more. Maybe you've never heard this story before. Maybe you've never thought about what the Bible actually claims and what it actually says. And you're interested in wanting to know the author of it. You're wanting to know the main character, Jesus, who's the one who comes to save. And you can come to know him by simply believing in him, by, by, by turning from the life that puts ourselves at authority, at, at our own autonomy, and coming and saying, we ask for your forgiveness, Jesus. Would you forgive me and, and make me your child? And he does it for free. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to work for it. We just come and receive his gift of grace for free. And maybe, maybe you're here though, but, and you, you've been a believer for a while, but, but you've been viewing the world, viewing the Bible through the worldview, through the lenses of our culture. You've, you've been placing the authority in yourself and, and looking at this book and saying, I like this, I like this, I don't like this. People won't like me if I believe this, so I can't believe this. And, and, and we sort of stand and look at it through this way. And I'm guilty of that as well. And maybe now is the time to come back to God and say, we want to be people who dwell in this story. We want to be people who see the world through this story, who, who live our lives immersed in this story and give all authority to God and submit and trust Him. And if that's, that's you tonight, maybe this is time to think and work through that as well. And if, and if, you're, if you're living this and, and, and you love this and, and you're, you've been living your life through the worldview of the Bible, be encouraged and continue. And, and continue to walk and trust God in that way. So we're going to sing this last song. If, if anything has touched you tonight, or if you, if you need prayer, if you'd like people to pray for you, Dave and, and I and a couple others might be down here. And, and the way it works here after in the last song, if you'd like someone to pray for you, you can just walk forward and, and stand in one of these seats, and we'll just come and ask you what you'd like prayer for and, and pray for you. And that can be about anything at all. Um, but otherwise, we'd, we'd love to have dinner with you and talk to you some more about this stuff as well. So I'm just going to pray, and then, then we'll sing together. God, thank you so much that, that you give us um, your word, your book. Thank you for this amazing story, God, that just touches our hearts. Thank you for who you are, that, that you are so good and that you draw us to yourselves. And, and God, I just pray for us tonight. Would, would you help us to be people who, who lay ourselves down before you, who dwell in your story? God, give us boldness to, to view the world through your eyes when it's difficult with the people around us who, who don't see it this way. Would you give us strength? Would you give us your love? Would you give us your spirit? We just pray you'd speak to us now in this time. Amen.